official Adam Sank Show merchandise at adamsank.com. T-shirts, tank tops, mugs, masks, just about everything you can think of emblazoned with the Adam Sank Show logo. Go to adamsank.com to order your merch today. Thank you. This is the Adam Sank Show. If it's in my hand, I'm gonna suck it. Powered by DNR Studios. And now. The one, the only, Adam Sank! Bottom. At the Bruins! Kick it in! Here I am! There's something happening with men in the ass. There really is something happening with men in the ass. Good morning. Hello, this is Adam Sank. We are live. Yes, we're working on Thanksgiving weekend. What's wrong with us? But we are live, if you're listening live, at 11 a.m. Eastern, Saturday, November 27th, in the year of 2021, uh, at dnrstudios.com. That's the only place to hear this podcast live and throughout the week that it first airs. You either go to the website or you listen through the DNR Cast app after subscribing to The Adam Sank Show or to DNR Plus. Leave us your ratings and reviews uh, wherever you listen to this thing particularly Apple Podcasts. That's the one that matters the most as far as reviews go. Email me, me, at adam at adamsank.com. Call and uh, talk to us live on the Ass Hotline anytime you want. That number is 804-TALK-ASS. Like the Adam Sank Show Facebook page. Get your official Ass merchandise at adamsank.com. And please get vaccinated if you haven't already done so. The Omicron variable is on the loose, and it's going to kill us all. So get vaccinated and increase your chances of survival. Our guest today is Robert C. Steele. He's the author of a new book with a very long title. You ready? I'm going to take a deep breath. Banned from California, Jim Fauché, Persecution, Redemption, Liberation, and the Gay Civil Rights Movement. It's a really interesting book. Um, I haven't finished it. I've been reading it every day for several weeks now. It's kind of lengthy. But um, it's a fabulous book about a gay rights pioneer you've never heard of, but you should have heard of him, and we will hear about him today. But first, it's time to introduce everyone's second favorite lesbian, uh, my guest co-host today, the pride of Nutley, New Jersey, Joanne Filet. Thank you. It's always wonderful. Joanne is sitting in for Ryan, who's in North Carolina for Thanksgiving. Oh, I have family down there. Do you? Whoops. <laughs> I suppose I, I could have gone, but uh, oh well. There are pockets of North Carolina that are lovely. Sure. Charlotte, uh, Raleigh-Durham area, Asheville. Uh, Asheville, yes. Fabulous. Yeah. Um, Joanne, how was your Thanksgiving? Did you celebrate? In Was it a very nutly Thanksgiving? <laughs> well, as far as nuts, there were none, uh, as my wife and I prefer. But uh, it was also very uh, lesbianish because we had the, the tofurkey and. Uh, was it a friendsgiving? Did you have other lesbians uh, there? No, we don't have friends. <laughs> Sadly, we just have cats. Many, so who many was cats. there? Just the two of you? Yeah, just me, my wife, and our oh, three cats. That is a lot of. That's a little depressing. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you very much. But um, I hope you enjoyed the tofurkey. Oh, uh, I was in uh, Summit, New Jersey with my family and extended family, which was quite lovely. We had a sing-along. My nephew's a talented guitarist. Um, J.B. Nice. Bercy is here. The queen of fuckery is working the board like the pro that she is. Hello. Hello. J.B. Hi. I, I want to ask you about your Thanksgiving, but I'm almost certain the answer is going to depress me even more than Joanne's <laughs> Thanksgiving. How was your Thanksgiving? 
wow, that that was hurtful. <laughs> like, I, my Thanksgiving was fine. Oh, it good. Well, I, I enjoyed it. What'd you do? Hey, Don't my you. brother. You and your brother? Yeah. Just the two of you? Yeah. For some reason, that's less depressing than two lesbians oh, and a bunch shit. of cats. And, uh, but know, we put up Christmas decorations. I also have friends oh. online that I talk to. So, you know, oh, I mean, let's even count them as friends. But we Did I you guys do a turkey? No, because I knew my mom was going to drop off food the next day, and she dropped off shit ton of food. Oh, good. Like, enough food to feed an army. Was it good food? Was it tasty? I did have some last night, and some of it was good. Good for you. Well, thanks, Mom. Yeah. And uh, I'm thankful for both of you. I How about am, that? too. I thank you. And for you. all the listeners thankful. who can call in if they'd like an 804-talk-ass. Um, so <laughs> let me explain to the listeners what's happening, because the show's going to get really wacky for the next few weeks. We are live this week with Joanne. Whee! We're on tape uh, next – I'm sorry. We're live again next week with Ryan. <laughs> then we're on tape with Joanne. Um, then we're on tape week. with Ryan. I mean <laughs> it's just going to go back and forth basically for the rest of the year. We're banking a lot of shows. We're doing some best ofs. It's going to be fun. But the good news is you're going to have something new to listen to every single Saturday um for the end of the year so but enjoy today and next saturday because that's the last two times we're going to be live in 2021 yay um what else to tell you guys uh we got some new dick pics from a guy named ethan the exhibitionist who lives Ooh. up in vancouver so thank you ethan um, canadian dick canadian dick yeah it was impressive also i found out via email that gail is not mad at us but she did cancel her DNR Studio subscription because of some kind of fight between her and Derek. I'm not getting into it. But, um, you know, that's a thing. That's... So, Gail, we love you. We hope that you're still listening yes, to the Gail. Adam Sank Show on the free version a week later. And you're still welcome to call in when you know that we're live, 804 Talk Ass. Yeah. Um, speaking of Gail, let's do this week's recommended viewing. Hey. Hit it, Gail. I hate this segment. Who gives a fuck what anyone else is watching on TV? This shit sucks. Thank you, Gail. Uh, <laughs> let's start with our guest co-host, Ms. Joanne Filan. What do you recommend to the lesbian viewers and <clears throat> listeners? Uh, well, I think I, I recommended it before, but I'm always uh, one to recommend Wentworth uh, on Netflix. Oh. That is a wonderful series, absolutely. But um, most recently, uh, especially over the Halloween time, um, I watched um, – damn it. I wish I could remember the name of it. I'm so fucking old. Pardon my language. Um, oh, it's the, uh, it, there was a, the ha ha haunting of Hill House, and then there was Bly Manor, and then the third one. Ooh, uh. This is all English. Mother. No. Masterpiece it, theater type. Yes, exactly. Shit. Yes. Um, Midnight Mass, Midnight Mass. Oh. Uh, a short series, uh, creepy, very creepy, but awesome. I highly recommend it. You're so Midnight classy, Mass. Joanne. <laughs> I'm a lesbian. You are. Thank God. Well, I'm <laughs> going to recommend something that I may have recommended before, so I apologize, but I don't remember doing so. And I really wanted to tell you guys about Rita Moreno, Just a Girl Who Decided to Go For It. This is a documentary on Netflix about the legendary actress, singer, dancer Rita Moreno, um, who is best known for playing Maria in West Side Story in the movie version. Um, but she's also an EGOT. She's one of the few people who's won an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony. A real pioneer, one of the first uh, Latinx actors or actresses in Hollywood to really make it big. And the documentary traces her life, um, you know, from her from the very beginning to her arrival in New York, 
and working her way up in show business and getting cast in stereotypical roles all the time. Mm -hmm. And not only Latina roles. Mm -hmm. She was cast in The King and I as a, a, a Thai woman. Oh. <laughs> she was she was Tipton in The King and I. You know, like it didn't matter to Hollywood. It was like, oh, you're something different. So that therefore you can play anything. And she used the same accent for every role. It was just a generic ethnic accent. <laughs> I can't believe you missed this bolden opportunity before recommending this to say, hey, you guys. Hey, you guys. <laughs> yes, The Electric Company was how mm -hmm. I first was introduced to Me her too. as a child and for which she won her, her um, Emmy. Oh, really? So, yes, please okay. watch Rita Moreno. She's a living treasure. Um, oh, uh, JB, I want to get your recommendations, and then I want to talk about another treasure who is no longer with us. Um, okay, so my recommendation, my, my recommendation this week is the live action of Cowboy Bebop. Uh, I was trying watching it. I was like, oh, this is a really good show just to chill and relax and ha-ha-hee-hee. -hee -hee. I feel like the shows you recommend, you're the only person in the world watching them. No, like, what is Cowboy Bebop? It's a it's an anime. It's not okay. So okay, I don't because there are people in my inbox are like, hey, I like your anime recommendation. Please send me more. So Good. I, I say Good. this for these people. I know I know it's nonsense to you normal people, but for the anime widows. <laughs> Shade. <laughs> well, good. Then shut my mouth and uh, and thank you, thank you, JB, for your recommendation of the live action version of Cowboy Bebop. Yes. Might I add that <laughs> any one of these recommendations can be upped by just taking an edible before watching, or a nice big bong hit. Oh, yeah. that too. Yeah, yeah. all too. ultra. You know, no, I was at MedMen yesterday to uh, stock up. And uh, MedMen is the medical marijuana place here oh, in New York okay. and in, in a few other states. And they had a buy one, get one free sale. Oh, for God's sakes. I know. <laughs> it was not yesterday. It was uh, Wednesday. I was like, holy shit, does everyone know about this? I started frantically texting my stoner <laughs> friends. It's buy one, get one free at MedMen. Um, okay. I want to just briefly touch on uh, the death of Stephen Sondheim, which we heard about yesterday. I'm not going to do a whole long tribute because there are so many others – better qualified than I who are doing tributes. Um, the New York Times has a lovely obituary plus an appreciation plus an interview they did with him last Sunday. Oh, my God. Really? Wow. He was up and around. He was. I saw him Holy on God. November 15th. I went to see Company, the first preview of the, uh, the gender-flipped revival oh. starring a woman as Bobby for the first time instead of a man. Uh, Katrina Wank as as uh, Bobby, yeah. and Stephen Sondheim was in the audience, and he oh, stood up, yeah. and everyone cheered, and then he went on stage at the end and <gasps> took a bow. He looked fine. Wow! But he, he was, was 91. ninety-one, right? Right. And as sometimes happens with people in their nineties, he just died suddenly, and um, he just was everything to yeah. musical theater. He mm -hmm. there's no there was no one ever like him, and there will never be anyone like him before. He changed everything. He was a brilliant lyricist. He was a brilliant composer. And everyone has their favorite Stephen Sondheim show and uh, every theater queen anyway. And everyone has their reasons for it being so. But for me, it was Sweeney Todd. Oh, okay. Which came out in 1979 when I was eight. <laughs> and long before I got to see it on stage, I had the cast album, which I would sit in my room as an eight and nine and 10 year old and listen to nonstop. And my sisters would scream through the door. Why are you listening to that funeral music? <laughs> but Sweeney Todd, it just, there's something so captivating about it for me. It, it's 
it's haunting, it's brilliant, it's dark, it's funny. Um, and, you know, like I said, his shows speak to people in so many different ways. But, um, yeah, it's just it, it's just an incalculable loss. Yeah. Well, now, does the movie version of Sweeney Todd enrage <sighs> you? <laughs> I was going to say. One of the worst adaptations ever. I don't understand why they make movies, movie musicals with people who can't sing. Right. I feel I like s- that should be like the mm-hmm. first requirement is that you have to Helena Bonham Carter, mm-hmm. great great actress, love her, lovely person, mm-hmm. can't sing a note. True. And for her to play Mrs. Lovett, which is just a role for which she's terribly miscast to begin with, even if she could sing. Just so depressing and Johnny Depp was fine. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen really stole the movie mm. as Pirelli, but right, right, right. yeah, don't judge Sweeney Todd by that piece of shit. See if you can find a live, um, a recorded version of the live show. Okay. They've revived it several times over the years. There was the Lincoln Center version that I saw. There was the original Broadway, the revival Broadway with Patti LuPone and Michael Cerveris. Oh. Tons of regional productions. Anyway, rest in peace, Stephen Sondheim. Um, Let's get to the news. And the first one is kind of an interesting thing that's happening here in New York. You know, we have this uh, Governor Kathy Hochul who took over for Andrew Cuomo when he was ousted. I mean, she didn't take over. She – it was her job because she was the lieutenant governor. Um, Hochul is running for governor already along with several other prominent people. So she's really trying to do everything she can to – uh, widen her constituency and appeal to New York's liberal base. And so one of the things that she's doing is she's pushing for the decriminalization of sex work. That's amazing. Uh, she said early in her term that she's speaking with advocates and is open to addressing the issue. Um, in January, there are going to be two competing bills in the New York State Legislature, which both change the laws around sex work. Um well, this is kind of complicated. Let me see. <clears throat> there are two competing bills, as I said. One would completely decriminalize sex work. The other would bar police from charging sex workers, but still allow them to charge clients. And it's a complicated issue. It's two ways of looking at the same thing. Um, one of the fears about decriminalizing sex work is that you're also decriminalizing potentially human trafficking. Oh, Right, 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 of right. course. We, we certainly want adults who choose to do sex work on their own and are not being forced to, not being coerced, they're doing it for their own living, we want right. them to, to be free of prosecution. But if someone is making them a, a man, in, right. in, in every case, is forcing them to do this and profiting off of the sex worker, right. we want to keep that a crime. That's And it's yeah. hard to, to sort of, yeah. yeah. I don't know how. Yeah, it's uh, it's a yeah, that's a conundrum. Democrats also say they are concerned about the mental health aspects of the job for sex workers. They say that often people get involved in sex work due to mental health issues. That's probably true, but they're also mm-hmm. adults. True. I mean, yeah. I mean, if it was more, if it was more legalized, maybe there would be more opportunities for people in that uh, line of work to uh, get uh, therapy if needed, uh, you know. Um, well, also, maybe maybe if they weren't <laughs> at risk of criminal prosecution at all times, they True. would be mentally healthier. Right. Um, I definitely think there are ways to not just change the law, but to create resources 
for mm-hmm. sex workers so that if they want to stop, they right. have uh, counseling, free counseling right. available, mm-hmm. f- former sex workers who can who they can speak to. I, I, I don't think it's an easy issue, but I do think locking people up because of what they do with their own bodies is always yeah. a mistake. Right. Meanwhile, some really exciting news this <laughs> week. Lil Nas X has scored three Emmy nominations and the no- Emmy nominations? Grammy nominations. Yeah. <laughs> Wrong headline uh, that I wrote. Oh, yes. <clears throat> and they're for his song Montero, Call Me By Your Name, which is a very, very gay song. Super sexy. He was nominated for Music Video of the Year, Song of the Year, and Record of the Year at the 64th Annual Grammys. Um, the categories of Song and Record of the Year are basically the highest honors of the evening. Um, I think he's fabulous. In addition to three nominations scored by the song Montero, Lil Nas X also snagged noms for Album of the Year, Best Melodic Rap Performance. Um, Montero, Call Me By Your Name, derives its name from the 2018 film Call Me By Your Name about a gay romance. Both the music video and Lil Lil Nas X's spirited performance on SNL attracted wide praise and criticism for their overt homoeroticism. Fellow rappers DaBaby and Boozy Badass both attacked Lil Nas X on social media and in interviews claiming that the song would make children grow up gay. (laughs) That's so true. As songs have the power to do. (laughs) Exactly. I would want to grow up like that too. Seriously. But but he's, I don't know, he's amazing. He's like such an uh, amazing... Uh, Trailblazer. Yes. And not all rappers, I was I was reading, because there's not all rappers uh, bashed him. Like no. Nelly. Nelly was very uh, supportive. Um, and, uh, you know... He has a lot of support and a few haters, True. but he's definitely changing the game for hip-hop and for LGBTQ people. Yeah. Um, and he's so... Bold, mm-hmm. like he's so like he's I don't give a fuck. Too, right in that, in that, yes. Oh shit, um, JB, the guest is calling, and I don't know why. Can you hang on? Speak to him. It's exciting. Okay, um, these are not the first Grammy nominations for Lil Nas. The singer previously picked up Grammy statuettes for Best Pop Duo, Group Performance, and Best Video for his song Old Town Road in 2019. Meanwhile, Joanne. Mm-hmm. The world of country music was rocked as well. <laughs> Amazing, yes. After t- have you ever heard of the Brothers Osborne? No, I was like, which Osborne child is that? Right. <laughs> I was reading, I'm like, oh my god! Is this uh, Ozzy and Sharon's long last stepson? No, T.J. Osborne of the country music duo Brothers Osborne um, won a uh, CMA award and kissed his boyfriend Woo-hoo. live on television at the award show. They're all coming out of the woodwork, these, I these mean, country people. They're tired of singing about their pickup trucks. Yes. I think they're just like, come on, let's the, get some mass. The 36-year-old Osborne kissed his partner, Abby Ventura, while his brother, John Osborne, shared a kiss with his wife, Lucy Silvas. This is how it should be. Yes. The, there should be nothing extraordinary about this, except that it's country music. Yes. Um, That's got to be rough. <clears throat> The younger Osborne, the one who is gay, came out 10 months ago. He said, quote, uh, it's been a crazy roller coaster of a year for us in so many ways, especially for me emotionally. Um, this is as he was accepting the award. He said this. And to have you all support me, it really does feel like love wins tonight. Thank you. His comments were met with a standing ovation. Oh, that's nice. 
What's really great about this is that when he did come out, he received a lot of shit from the country community. Right. A state law, he came out, like I said, 10 months ago, right? Mm-hmm. Right after that, a state lawmaker in Tennessee blocked a proposed resolution honoring Osborne. What? Why don't, oh God, I just. They're so disgusting, these Really? People. I don't know how these people, like, I would not be in country music then anymore. I'd be like, screw you. Or do, be, do the brave thing and and stay in it and change it, like sure. Lil Nas X is doing in right. hip-hop. You That's know? true, but and he's also kind of branched into the country thing-ish, right? He's, well, he's yeah, I mean, he's so multi-genre. Yeah. Uh, but after that Tennessee re- resolution was blocked, the brothers filmed a video for the song Younger Me, which was nominated for Video of the Year at the CMAs, um, on the steps of the Tennessee Capitol building. Mm-hmm. So good for them. Yes, good for Congratulations, them. Congratulations, T.J. Osborne. Yay. Uh, now we turn to the world of science and a fascinating and shocking new study, Joanne, finds <laughs> that homophobic men who have sex with other men don't feel great about it. Oh. I mean, oh. it's, they feel like great they about, feel about it. About it. <laughs> they feel great about it when it's happening. Right. Mm. Mm. But, oh, God, that's so aggressive. Yeah. A study published in the journal Archives of Sexual Behavior, which I have uh, next to my toilet, found that... <laughs> I have one in my toilet. In the toilet. <laughs> toilet paper. Men who have sex with men while harboring homophobic views about same-sex relationships are unhappy. Hmm. That is, uh, that's so surprising. <laughs> this is like vegans who eat steak don't feel <laughs> exactly. great about it. Researchers call it moral incongruence when a person's behavior doesn't match up with their moral code. Um, the study author Samuel Perry and his team looked at data from the General Social Survey, which asked whether participants had had sex with someone of the same sex in the past year, and what their general level of happiness was. It also asked to what extent they feel they felt same-sex relationships are wrong. Here's why this sounds like such a duh. Yeah, yeah. But it's actually important because mm-hmm. ant- homophobes, right-wing homophobe assholes, right. always say gay people are unhappy. Being gay makes you unhappy. Being lesbian makes right. you – being trans makes you unhappy. No, it, it – Makes you unhappy if you have beliefs that run counter, right, to living that life. If you listen to, to the being people that, that way. say you are you gay people are unhappy. Exactly. Yeah. There is nothing inherently unhappy um, about having gay sex. In fact, it makes me very happy. I enjoy gay sex myself. <laughs> well, not it's by myself. It's so much myself. more fun than straight sex. <laughs> Although by myself would still be gay sex because sure. I am gay both absolutely ways. i mean yes <laughs> when you masturbate you are still a i'm lesbian. still having gay sex absolutely. yes i love it <laughs> so this is just one more piece of evidence like we needed it mm-hmm. that uh the goal should not be to stop people from having gay sex it should be to stop homophobia and teach people that it's okay Mm-hmm. To have these desires and to do these things, as long as you're a consenting adult doing it with another consenting adult, go have Preferably your gay sex. a gay consenting adult. Well, maybe not. Well, I've had some true. fun sex with straight guys that's when I was true. younger. But I don't know you... how they felt about it, but I felt great about it. So here's the here's the the line. Like, can you um, have gay sex as a straight person, uh, not hate yourself, 
but still be considered straight? I think it depends on the straight person. I do think, yes, I, I have known of <laughs> mm-hmm. straight identified guys okay. who are like, yeah, I tried it. I tried it in college. I got my dick sucked by this guy in my fraternity or, um, or whatever. Right, and they're right. like, it was okay. It wasn't really for me. Mm, okay. All um, right. I, I do think so. I think, I think there's such a spectrum out there, both of sexual orientation and also about how people feel about sexual orientation. And I think just like there, we know there are fluid women. Mm-hmm. I think there are a lot of fluid men and they maybe not, they maybe don't talk about it as much, but right. like they're well, cool with it. They're cool if it happens once in a while. Right. I think Daniel Craig, I mean, as we were mentioning before, and I'm, I'm pushing. Joanne is obsessed with for, Daniel Craig. I, I am. I really am. You should ask my wife. Before we went on the air, Joanne posited that Daniel <laughs> Craig is like sexually fluid and sometimes hooks up with guys. And I was like, I want that to be true, but I don't think it is. I, no, it's all right. So it's not. I have no actual proof. All I know is that he does go to gay bars. He, or he did or whatever to meet women. Uh, he's also married to a gorgeous, gorgeous, Rachel amazing Vice. Rachel Vice. As, Joanne uh, would like to have a three-way with Daniel <laughs> and Rachel. I'd just like to look at them both, actually. But she really just wants Daniel to watch while she and Rachel <laughs> That's fine, too. Get it on. I'm all right with that. Well, speaking of people who may or may <laughs> not be sexually fluid, this next story is about Taylor Lautner. <laughs> now, some of you may have forgotten who Taylor Lautner is, but he was a very big deal during the Twilight movies. He was the young twink with the yeah. big gleaming white teeth. He's so adorable, and I, he's only twenty nine. I was 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 looking at this up. He's twenty nine. Yeah, he like, was like that the, movie like twenty years. He ago? was an actual teenager when they made that movie. Unlike Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson, who I think were like twenty, twenty one. He right. was like sixteen or seventeen. That's... I knew him from the movie Shock Boy and Lava Girl. Shock Boy? Oh. No, Shock Boy. Shark Boy oh, and Lava Boy. Girl. Oh, and Lava he was Girl. In... Yeah, he played Shark Boy. Oh, <laughs> he was well, Shark Boy. I may have to watch that one. <laughs> and then they yes. remade it years later. Uh, I think the parents and they have kids. I watched them. And they changed it to Shock Boy and Lesbo Girl. (laughs) I like that. I think they should. Well, in any case, (laughs) Keller Lautner made news uh, on November 11th when he proposed to his girlfriend, an actual woman uh, named Tay Dome. T A Y D O M E. Which is, I I know, Tay Dome just doesn't sound like a woman that Taylor Lautner would be engaged to. But anyway, um, he shared photos of himself and his new fiance on Instagram, and he wrote, and just like that, all my wishes came true. Using a reference to Sex in the City, <laughs> he tried to be straight. <laughs> There's something happening with men in the ass. Well, now listen, I have long said on this show that you are however you identify, and if Taylor Lautner wants to identify as straight and marry a woman, that is certainly his business. But, and it's a big but, I did happen to notice this blind item, and I use the word blind very loosely, on uh, on the website Blind Gossip. So here's the item, and then I'll tell you the overwhelming consensus of the commenters. It goes as follows. You already know there are plenty of celebrities out there who are in faux relationships. Some of them do it to serve as a beard for the other person. Some of them do it to hide their own personal preferences. Note to blind gossip, it's not a preference. Um, Some of them do it to publicize a particular project. Some of them do it for general publicity purposes. Let's talk about this actor from a famous franchise series. We'll call him Chompers. (laughs) 
Chompers is a good-looking guy who has probably dated a dozen female celebrities. He hasn't written a 10-minute song about any of them, but he probably could. Oh, hello, Taylor Swift. <laughs> the two of them actually did date. <laughs> While this isn't Chompers' first faux relationship, it may be his last. He is ready to commit to his non-celebrity girlfriend. Given that Chompers is still so young, why is he settling down with this particular girl at this particular time? What's the rush? Blind Gossip says it's because he wants to have a baby, and so does she. They've been dating for a few years now, so they really know each other and are comfortable co-parenting this baby together. She knows exactly who he is and is cool with that. Surprise, it's a baby-making partnership. That's the first surprise, but there's a second surprise. <laughs> it turns out that Chompers did not come up with this idea himself. It actually came from a famous actress. Now, I'm going to put famous in air quotes here because most of you will not have heard of this person. Um, you might think the idea came from the lead actress from the franchise that made him famous. We'll call her Flannel. <laughs> no, it wasn't her. Flannel has been through a faux relationship or two of her own over the years, but she was not the one giving advice to Chompers. The idea actually came from another actress. We'll call her Kissy. Chompers faux dated Kissy a few years ago. We told you from the first smoochy photo that their relationship was fake. Their relationship came and went so quickly you might not even remember it. While their relationship didn't last, their discussions about family did have a profound impact on him. You see, Kissy herself was the product of a faux relationship. Her mother was a famous actress who teamed up with an industry bigwig to produce her, to produce the baby. She told him how her parents came up with an arrangement that worked even though her father is gay. She convinced him that he could have a family of his own someday if he found the right girl. She told him that as long as he was completely truthful with the girl and they totally trusted each other, it could work. Sounds like he found the right girl. Congratulations to Chompers on his engagement. Mm -hmm. That's the longest blind item in history. Oh, so Chompers is obviously Taylor Lautner, according to uh, the consensus of blind gossip mm -hmm. commenters. Yes. Flannel, we know, is... Yes, Kristen Stewart. Correct. And any guesses as who, to who Kissy is? Is it the other Taylor? Because I know he dated two. He dated two Taylors. Nope, not a Taylor. Okay, it's yeah. Billy Lord, the daughter of Carrie oh, Fisher and oh Brian Lord. My. Oh, okay. All right. Oh, I would hardly call her a famous actress. No. She's famous for being the daughter of Carrie Fisher. Right, but she is pretty awesome though in her own. She's right. cool. I love her in American Horror Story. Yeah. Episodes. So, um, yeah, so there you go. And once again, I'm not outing him. I'm not saying he's gay. I'm saying a lot of people think he's gay. And Blind Gossip has this story, whether it's true or not, as to why he would be getting married to a right. woman. It almost uh, Michael Jackson uh, in mm. a way, mm -hmm. uh, except for the obvious missing child aspect of it. Yeah, when Norm MacDonald died... Uh, a couple months back, I was remembering my favorite Norm MacDonald joke ever from SNL Weekend Update. It was the day that um, Michael Jackson and Lisa Marie Presley announced they were divorcing. He goes, friends of the couple said they weren't really surprised. They say she's more of a stay-at-home type, and he's more of a homosexual pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, Adam, you know me. I'm, I will hop on any, any hottie. Any, any hottie. But... If she's really doing this for the child, I, 
if she's really doing this for the child, I can't be with her because I don't like it. So, you know, tell Lana if you're listening, hey, I'm here for you. But drop them babies. There you go. JB has spoken. Yes. Um, one last story. I don't know why why the guest is calling again. JB, I hope that everything is working out with that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Do you need my code? No, it's fine. It's fine. Can she get an email? All right, I'm going to leave my phone with you just in case he calls again. Okay, this last story is about our favorite person in the world, Caitlyn Jenner. Yes. I didn't know this, but Caitlyn Jenner has apparently had a feud with Ellen (laughs) DeGeneres going back to 2015. So surprising. Uh, Caitlyn is apparently appearing on something called Big Brother VIP. I didn't realize that Big Brother had another celebrity edition going, and maybe it's in England. I don't know. but VIP. Caitlyn's on it. And she made a little bit of news this past week because she basically blames Ellen for people hating her. (laughs) Exactly. And it all goes back to this clip, uh, this interview that Ellen did with Caitlin back in 2015 when the subject of same-sex marriage was on everyone's minds because the Supreme Court was just about to rule on it. So take a listen, JB. Uh, That word marriage is really, really that important to you. I, I can go with it, you know? And it's, so, it's funny because you're, so you're still kind of a little not on board with it. It's, no, I'm on board. I mean, yeah. it is going to be the, you know, pretty because much if, the, la- the, la- the law of the land. Right. So I, I still feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm okay with that. Because yeah. Yeah, I don't want so to stand in front of somebody's happiness. Right. I, and I just think that it's, and, and I, you know, obviously marriage is an important word because marriage is marriage and equality is equality. So right. if we want the same word that everyone else has, it wouldn't be civil union, it wouldn't be, it would be. Right. So, so equality is important for all of us. And I think that's. I don't think Ellen was unfair in her questioning or in what Not she at said all. at all. Not at all. There's no way that Ellen was leading Caitlin into anything that she was saying. And it's like Caitlin just never takes responsibility for no. her words. And it's how harmful they are. Else's. It's always someone else's fault. It's She's Ellen, always being misinterpreted. It's the guy that owns the plane in the hangar next to her. It was right. that person that walked in the middle of the street. That's why I hit them on my car. What? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Dark but funny. Thank you. Um, on Celebrity VIP, Caitlin said, I didn't think Ellen would respond the way she did. And then she goes to me, well, it sounds like you're not really for it. And I said, no, I just said I'm for gay marriage. The next week... This is still Caitlin talking. The next week, Ellen goes on Howard Stern's show, and she says, I was against gay marriage and absolutely burnt my ass. And so in the media, I got really tough on her. Jenner went on to say that after that interview, she considered calling her ex-wife, Kris Jenner, to ask that she and other members of the Kardashian dynasty boycott Ellen's show. But I didn't, she admitted. I thought, I don't want to get involved in that. This is not the first time Jenner has blamed DeGeneres for making her look bad. In her tell-all memoir, The Secrets of My Life, she accused Ellen of, quote, alienating her from the LGBTQ community. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. It is. It is. It's, you alienated you. Yeah. Ellen doesn't write your uh, anything you say. <laughs> like, everything she says is absolutely ridiculous, stupid. Everything Caitlin says. Yeah, exactly. It, no. Not, she, it, yeah. Ellen didn't make you look like an asshole. You're just an asshole. Yes. I want to do this last story real quick because it's been on the rundown for four weeks and I want to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. So back on September 28th, Leslie Jordan, a.k.a. Beverly Leslie from Will & Grace, <laughs> was on Ellen 
talking to her about the time he made an appearance on her sitcom in the 1990s and played a straight guy. Mm -hmm. Listen to this. Because it was a little bit after your announcement that changed everything when you told everyone you were gay. And so I thought, oh, wow, I get to be on this gay sitcom. I get the script and I'm playing a straight guy. <laughs> but, you know, I'm, I opened my mouth and 50 yards of purple chiffon come out. And I, I, could, I thought I could do this. I've got this. I'm going to butch it up. Uh -huh. And I had to make an entrance with a playmate. And, of course, the joke was every time I turned around, I went into her boobs. And, but I still thought, I, you know, I pulled it off. And I called a friend of mine after it aired uh, back east because it aired three hours earlier. And I said, well, so what do you think to pull it off? He goes, oh, honey, I don't know. <laughs> he said there was a big group of people here that didn't know you. And when you opened your mouth, they said, get a load of her. <laughs> I love him so much. I do, too. And here's this thing that, uh, I'm sorry, uh, I do often for no apparent reason, but I like to pit people against each other that I find are similar uh, and say who would win in a fight. So here's my quick question. Who would win a fight, Leslie Jordan or Nathan Lane? Oh, Nathan Lane has got like 100 pounds on him. Okay. All right. So Leslie but Jordan's think, tiny. Yeah, but Leslie, yeah, I don't know. You don't he think. might claw and yeah. scratch. And... See? I, I still, my money's still on Nathan. Uh, I feel like he's a little more agile, maybe. Nathan he's Lane's a New Yorker. Little... I'll beat the mm. shit out of him. All right. Uh, hopefully we'll get to see that someday. I think so, too. Now it's time for our guest segment, and our guest today uh, has worked as a reporter, producer, uh, and broadcaster in radio and television stations here in the U.S., as well as the Italian National Broadcasting Company. He was also a volunteer and activist in the early gay liberation movement, which is how he came to know the subject of his book, it's called Banned from California, Jim Fauché, Persecution, Redemption, Liberation, and the Gay Civil Rights Movement. Please give a warm-ass welcome to author Robert C. Steele. Hi, Robin. Hello. Ooh, the audience is so loud today. My goodness. They're so excited to see you. How are you, Robert? I'm great. It's a pleasure to be with you today, Adam. I've listened to some of your podcasts and... Uh, you're doing a lot of good out there in the podcast sphere. Thank you. Were you scandalized by what you heard? <laughs> uh, I, I I thought some of them was funny. I, I enjoy uh, what you're doing quite thank, a lot. Thank you, sir. Well, I enjoy the book that you wrote quite a bit. I'm, I'm, I confess I'm still not finished with it. I've got about 100 pages left, but I've been, I've been lapping it up. Uh, you've been working on Jim's story since the 1990s. What made you want to tell his story, and why did it take you until now to finish it? Well, a couple of decades uh, after I had met Jim in the 1990s, I did a series of interviews for Jim for this book, Banned from California. And at that time, I was working full-time and simply did not want to work on the book in my evenings and on my weekends. So it was about 20 years later after I retired, that I earnestly began writing the book. And about six or seven years ago, I realized that I had to start getting Banned from California written and published. I absolutely could not let this important story be lost to history. And it was uh, an important story that absolutely had to be told and offered to people. I agree, and I'm so glad that you did. One of my takeaways from the book is that, you know, Jim Fauché could have lived a very ordinary life, 
But what made him extraordinary is that he chose to live his life as an openly gay man starting in the early 50s when there were virtually no openly gay people. That's right. Uh, Jim Fauché was born in 1939, and uh, he eventually became an LGBTQ activist and researcher in the early 1970s gay liberation movement. But uh, at about 15 years old, he ran away from an, an abusive home in Idaho, and he landed in 1950s Los Angeles's underground world of homosexuals and early queer culture. And he unwittingly ended up an eyewitness to the beginnings of the LGBTQ civil rights movement. And in this book, Banned from California, readers experience Jim's adventures and misadventures, and they live history as seen through the eyes of this gay American. Uh, Banned from California tells an entertaining true story. It's a historical coming-of-age story and a lifelong biography. Uh, the book portrays a lot about LGBTQ history and about the oppression in the 1950s and beyond that Jim Fauché and other homosexuals endured as uh, the movement for the gay civil rights and equal rights began. He, Jim spent most of the first part of his life in institutions, um, as you tell the story, from, from an orphanage when he was a toddler to being in juvenile detention to then being put in the state mental hospital where he spent years of his adolescence. It seemed like every time he would tr you know, come home or run away or go somewhere else, he'd always wind up back in this mental hospital. And what struck me about your story is most of the time, as Jim tells it, he was treated rather well in those institutions. And it was only in his own home that he was terrorized. That's right. Uh, first, he was institutionalized when Jim's mother placed him and his older sister in an orphanage when he was only three years old. Uh, Jim's older sister, Ruthie, was eight years old at the time, and she'd already experienced the death of her daddy, who died the year before. And then in the orphanage, she had to deal with the emotional trauma of being alone in a strange place without either parent. But Jim was so young, at three years old, that he told me he really did not remember anything about entering the orphanage. So. He didn't remember how he initially dealt with it. But after three years that the kids spent in the orphanage, Jim's mother brought the kids back home to live with her, and they settled in together. But Jim couldn't remember anything about his mother before living in the orphanage. And he said that she seemed like a nice lady, but he couldn't remember anything about her. So he told me he didn't think he was really capable of really ever bonding with her because he had already lived half of his young life at the orphanage without his mother. And uh, anyway, she married Jim's first stepfather, whose discipline that he metered out amounted to beating Jim and his sister whenever he thought that the two children came under the influence of the devil. And this apparently happened so often that during one particular three-day period, Jim ran away from home every day. And then at about age 13, 
Jim was placed in a reform school to correct his runaway tendencies and other incorrigible behavior. Uh, and the older juvenile delinquents took sexual advantage of Jim. Uh, Jim couldn't really tell these older guys no, uh, so they just took what they wanted from Jim. And then the reform school staff found out that a lot of the older teenagers were having sexual encounters with Jim, and the house fathers thought Jim was at fault and told him that he was a bad influence on the older juvenile delinquents. So the training school's medical staff determined that Jim was mentally ill with social maladjustment problems, and they transferred the 14-year-old out of the reform school and into Idaho's state mental hospital. And from then through the rest of his teenage years, Jim lived mainly at that mental institution. And as you said, the Idaho Mental Institution was a fairly progressive medical institution during the 1960s. But uh, they, they eventually... They basically kept saying to him, we don't think you're mentally ill. That's and right. trying they to send him home. They eventually concluded that Jim was not mentally ill, but their main concern about Jim was that they were afraid he was becoming institutionalized at the mental hospital. And they tried various techniques to reintegrate him back into society. However, uh, Jim was a lot more comfortable away from home and away from society. And he couldn't wait to get back to the mental hospital where his real friends lived. Uh, he could not be truthful and tell people outside the hospital who he really was because after all, not only was he gay and running off to California, but he was living most of his teenage life in a mental institution. You know, in those early days, I, I feel like the younger generation doesn't know this and, and can learn this from the book, but in those early decades of gay consciousness where sort of the community just started beginning to form, your book, makes, right. your book makes it clear that being openly gay meant being an outlaw. That's right. You were uh, living life, on the fringes. Life was tough for homosexuals. In the 1950s, homosexual acts were illegal in all of the states across the country. And even the American Civil Liberties Union at that time asserted that uh, civil rights did not pertain to homosexuals. And the vice squad was always on the lookout for homosexuals. And if you were convicted of sodomy, you could spend years in prison. And uh, even President Dwight Eisenhower issued an executive order declaring that sexual perversion was grounds for homosexuals to be fired from their jobs. So uh, Jim lived an openly gay teenage life in the 1950s and doing that was seen at the time as criminal behavior and banned from California places Jim's story within the context of the civil rights movement during the Cold War and McCarthyism. Right. One of the most conservative decades in American history. Uh, one of the things that struck me, uh, Robert, was the the con you know the, the notions of uh, of roles in the gay community was so rigid. It's different than than now. Um, 
if you were effeminate, if you were an out effeminate gay man, then you weren't looking to have sex with, with someone else like that. You were looking to have sex with trade, a straight identified masculine butch man. And those, that, that sort of strict heteronormative almost role uh, uh, assignment, that continued, that extended into prison when Jim wound up going to prison for, for theft. Can you talk a little bit about that and about how, how being gay was seen as opposed to being trade, as opposed to being straight? Uh, yes. Um, you know, gay America was in the shadows and it was a secret subculture with its own customs and code words. And Jim always dated older men. He really didn't care uh, about guys his own age or younger guys. But with the older guys, uh, he told me that he thought the word gay was cool to use. But that put off some older guys he dated because they thought that Jim and the other younger guys were ruining a good code word by popularly using gay and that before long guys would be afraid to ask anybody if they were gay because everybody else would have learned what gay meant. And uh, in fact, whenever he left a bar with an older guy, they would end up walking two or three blocks to the older guy's car because people never parked next to a gay bar. These older men usually had good jobs and they didn't want their livelihoods threatened by an arrest. Right. But I'm, I'm asking about the fact that, that you, you wouldn't have two, let's say flamboyant gay guys in a relationship, right? Because that wasn't what either of them were looking for. They were looking for a, what they saw as a, as a masculine sort of traditional male. Yes. They patterned their lives off of uh, heterosexuals. And in fact, Jim and his friends, uh, they would see one or two uh, butch guys, very masculine guys who were together and they would be puzzled at that. Um, and uh, they couldn't understand uh, two uh, masculine guys getting together and getting it on because that's just not the way society was in their eyes. Well, and then he goes to prison in his early 20s in the state of Texas. And this was so shocking to me. Uh, if, as, an, as an out effeminate gay man, as a queen, let's say, Jim wasn't nearly as bothered by his fellow inmates as those straight identified guys who ended up getting quote unquote turned, who, who wound up having sex either against their will or not. Those were the ones who were the targets of violence and hatred in prison. But Jim wore women's panties to prison on his first day to let everyone know that he was a queen as a form of protection, right? Oh, that's right. Uh, a few of the chapters in Band from California cover the time that Jim spent in prison. And in the book, we learn a lot about uh, because of Jim's chronic runaway uh from a dysfunctional family. And my reporting in the book details his repeated placement in institutions. So it really was almost a foregone conclusion that he'd eventually end up in prison. And as you said, 
there were a lot of hardened prisoners there and a lot of dangers. Uh, he served on a prison farm where Jim toiled on a chain gang. And in summertime, life was absolutely miserable. Jim and the other chain gang prisoners were forced to endure backbreaking work. And the prisoners sweated under the hot blazing sun and they worked the ground digging trenches and building irrigation structure. And they constantly worked and could not stop. But Jim was the closest thing to a lady out there on the chain gang that the uniformed uh, field bosses and guards had ever seen out there. And for Jim and for Boss, it became a regular routine. Boss would sit on his horse, bored out of his mind, and he'd call Jim forward and gripe about Jim's work methods. But Boss concluded pretty quickly that he was not going to be successful making Jim into a masculine laborer. So Jim was forced to endure the chain gang and the prison farm. And and also the thing that, that surprised me was not only were the prisoners segregated by race, they were also segregated by sexual orientation. There was a an actual row of cells for the out gay prisoners. They called it Queen's Row. That's right. Uh, after the chain gang, Jim eventually was transferred to the main prison where he was segregated with other queer prisoners uh, at that area as you called it, Queen's Row. And he was confined there inside a solitary jail cell all by himself. Uh, the queens were kept separate from the straight men, but that only ended up depriving straight prisoners of effeminate queens for passionate sex. So the bulls terrorized young masculine straight guys who they coerced to get sex because getting to know Jim was difficult for most guys in prison because the guards maintained a very close watch over Jim. Uh, Jim was young in his 19, in his uh, 20s. And although he obviously wasn't the only queen in prison, he was the youngest and the prettiest. And knew how and, to work it. Oh yeah, whenever the guards <laughs> escorted Jim throughout the uh, prison, uh, to appointments and all, he'd flirt around and he'd blow other, he'd blow kisses to other convicts to make them feel good, and they'd wink at Jim and make wolf whistles uh, to him and send him love letters, buy him gifts. I mean, it's oh, it, yeah. he's he comes across as such a charming person and someone who really uh, sized up his own situation and said. Here, here's what I can use as assets. Here's what I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna like maximize everything I have t for my own benefit when I'm in this terrible situation. Oh yeah, he used his wits, that's for sure. Uh, Jim acquired a lot of boyfriends, so-called boyfriends, throughout the prison, and as you said, they com they communicated with him through love notes, and those love letters were secretly passed back and forth by runners, uh, prisoners who swept and mopped the tiers and delivered food trays. And the runners also wheeled carts to prisoners that contained commissary like soap and towels and cigarettes and newspapers and stuff. And 
Jim's so-called boyfriends would send him those love letters and little commissary gifts that Jim thought he absolutely needed so he could better endure prison life. How do you think that his prison time and all of his other traumatic early experiences, how do you think those experiences led to his ultimately becoming a gay rights activist? Well, uh, they affected him. The institutionalizations uh, throughout his early life affected him, I think, for the rest of his life. Uh, you know, he told me one time that almost every gay person he had ever known has suffered to some extent at the hands of their heterosexual parents. And his childhood and teen years clearly qualified him as an abused child at the hands of his fundamentally religious mother and his sadistic first uh, stepfather. And um, in 1969, Jim's move to Denver coincided with a new robust national discourse about homosexuality and the Stonewall Uprising occurred uh, just a month after Jim arrived in Denver and the counterculture movement was growing and gay civil rights groups were organizing across the country and Jim decided to get involved and he found a cause worth living for and Jim was no longer at the mercy of the persecution around him. He now took control of his own life by putting his destiny in his own hands. And he found a cause worth fighting for, and it made his life a lot more happier. And I think that nowadays, um, young gay people can take a clue from Jim and get involved. The, their life will. Uh, will be a lot better and they'll, uh, they'll feel like Jim did, that they're putting their destiny into their own hands. Well, and to also to fight for other marginalized people. Right. You know, as I was, we're, we're almost out of time here, Robert, but as I was reading your book, I was thinking, wow, you know, Jim was fortunate to live, uh, you know, a fairly long life. He lived to 2006. But I'm thinking about the, the million Jim Fauches out there whose stories were lost to history especially, you know, because of the AIDS epidemic that wiped out so many people before they were able to tell their stories. Uh, did Jim know you were going to tell his story? Oh, yes, he did. In fact, we sat down and I did a series of interviews and uh, he was interested in getting the story out um, because he, as I did, and now everybody who's reading the book finds out, he had a fascinating life, and I am so glad that I did not let this story be lost to history because it absolutely is too important. And I feel so wonderful that, um, that people are reading it and uh, that I'm, he I'm hearing so many uh, wonderful uh feedbacks. It's, it's a terrific story. book, uh, and I highly recommend it. Robert C. Steele, your book is banned from California, available now wherever books are sold. Thank you so much for writing the book and for being on the show. Thank you, Adam. Thanks, you're, Robert. You're great. Thank you. Joanne and JB, please plug yourselves. Come, uh, I'm at Broadway Comedy Club tonight, uh, 
10 and 11 p.m. shows. And online you are? And I am joannefineland.everything. Stock Anarchy 12, only on Instagram. We're live again next week with Ryan co-hosting and a brand new ass featuring comedian Robin Fox. Yay! Don't forget to follow me, me, on Twitter and Insta at Adam Sank. Have a great week, bitches. I love you. Bye. (laughs) 